Broadcasting from the Business Radio X studios, it's time for Business Leaders Radio. Now, here's your host, John Ray. And hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Business Leaders Radio. I'm John Ray, and this is going to be a good one, folks. A timely show as we welcome E. Martin Davidoff, and he, uh, also known as Marty, and he is the partner in charge of the National Tax Controversy Practice at Prager Metis. Marty, welcome. Well, great to be here, John. Hey, thanks for coming on. Um, the National Tax Controversy Practice. Wow. Tell us about that. How do you serve folks out there? Well, basically, when people are in trouble with the IRS or a state tax agency, we give them expertise. In the long run, what we're giving them is peace of mind in dealing with their tax situations. Uh, that's priceless. <laughs> peace of mind and the IRS together. You normally don't hear those two together. So that's, uh, that's great work you're doing. There are a lot of aspects to that. Let's get into, uh, Marty, if we can. Um, one of the things that you want folks to know right off the top is the difference in due date this year for tax for uh, personal returns. Yeah. Well, this, this year, the due date is April 18th, April 15th on a Friday, but that that's, legally emancipation day now this is really funny this comes to, to to fruition by a holiday in dc and the law says if there's a holiday in the district of columbia then you can't have the tax due date then technically the holiday is april 16th because in april 16th 1862 president lincoln signed something called the compensated emancipation act which freed more than 3,000 slaves in dc mm. but this year because the holiday falls on a Saturday, it's observed on the 15th, and they can't have the due date on the 16th or 17th because that's Saturday and Sunday. So now we have April 18th as the due date. So there's a one for us tax preparers, it's one lost weekend. Uh, for everybody else, it's one more weekend to uh, get your taxes done. Interestingly, for residents of Maine or Massachusetts, April 18th is Patriots Day. So they they <clears throat> they they get um, a due date of April nineteenth. Ah, gotcha. So, how does this change, if if at all, uh, payment for estimated taxes uh, balances due there? How does that work? They're all due April eighteenth. You know, unless you're in the other two states, April nineteenth. I would suggest you not cut it down that way. Uh, and and so, what you should do is. You know, get it planned in advance. Estimated taxes are very important to pay on time. So basically, you have a couple of extra days to get that in. But the one thing about these payments, please stop mailing checks into the IRS. Use their electronic methods. They have direct pay on their website, irs.gov. They have something called the Electronic Federal Tax Payment System. And that's really a big mouthful, but it's you go to www dot eftps.gov that's for the electronic federal tax payment system and you sign up in advance and it's a great way you can plan all your payments in advance your quarterly estimates or i have some people pay monthly because those quarterly estimates are too high mm -hmm. and so you pay electronically plus your tax preparer uh your, your family cpa as i call them or family uh, enrolled agent they can have the payments come be withdrawn from your account through their software 
And then you have an easy record of when you made payments, right? As opposed to mailing a check off and you don't know whether they received it or not or what have you, right? That That's terrific. Yes, that's exactly exactly the case. And I, 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 I lecture before thousands of CPAs periodically through CPA Academy. And I took surveys over my last five or six courses. And 30% of them are telling us that, you know, their clients still want them to instruct them how to you know, pay via mail. And I'm saying, stop the insanity. If the IRS is having trouble opening the mail, please sign up for EFTPS.gov, you know, get your account and, and, and start, you know, paying electronically. Uh, it, and folks needn't worry about the security of that system. That I ta- system, I, I take it. I, I think you're right. That system has been around for decades. They they have it, you know, so they have it really tight. Uh, they have lots of security levels. They have two factor authentication. So I would say I'm not a security expert. That would be my daughter. But I would say that uh, you know you can go in there and and be fairly confident. I have used it myself for at least ten to twelve years. Uh, when I had when I before I was Prager Metis. I always, I always found it easier to pay weekly. I would set 52 payments up because my cash flow was pretty level. And just, I didn't notice it if it came out every week. Ah, that that's good psychology. I like that, Marty. Um, uh, Marty Davidoff is with us, folks, and he is with Prager Metis. Uh, Marty, let's talk, I guess, just generally, if we can, about what folks are reading in the headlines about the IRS. I mean, you, one of the reasons I ask about security of online payments is people are wondering about, you know, the, the, the IRS and being responsive and being able to communicate and that kind of thing. And it seems like there's uh, a lot of turmoil and a lot of dysfunction in them being able to do their job. Address that if you would. Yes, I will. The, the dysfunction is like anybody else who doesn't have enough resources. If you only have 60 or 70% of the resources you need to run your business, you have a radio station, but you, you don't have a manager of the radio station. You're having mm. everybody trying to do their own job. Or you have the manager, but you don't have anybody to do the work and, and get it done. The IRS budget has been cut down severely. They have about 30% fewer people than they did 12 years ago. And yet they're asked to do more. They're asked to do all these rebates. They sent trillions of dollars of rebates. The person who's the head, head of the Internal Revenue Service, this guy named Chuck Reddick, is basically, you know, what I would say, one of us. He's a tax practitioner who, who um, he's, a, he's, a, he's a tax practitioner who, who, who basically, um, you know, got selected to run the IRS. And he's the first tax practitioner in 40 years to do it. So he understands taxes, but he hasn't been given the resources. He's written letters in the Washington Post. He's testified before Congress. He said, listen, let me plan my budget multiple years so I can get the IT infrastructure. Give me enough people to answer the phone. Right now, there's only the the latest data shows only 11% of the calls get answered. So it is very, very difficult to deal with the IRS, not because of their turmoil per se, but because Congress has cut the purse strings. They haven't given them enough money. And that, this particular year, they have more money in the budget, but that's just a drop in the bucket from what they need. They need more. And in time, they, you know, our security and being able to collect funds and revenue 
from people who may not want to pay. Most of us pay through withholding, but you know those of those who don't want to pay, we rely upon the IRS for our financial security. And you know the the turmoil. A little bit of it is due to the fact that maybe it's a big bureaucracy, but a lot of it and most of it is because Congress just won't write the check to allow them to function properly. And imagine your family household and you're trying to pay for your mortgage and you're trying to pay for everything. And you're short 20% every month from what you need to do it. And then you have to try to figure out, well, what am I going to give up to do this? Well, the IRS has had to give up certain things. They have to still process returns. They still have to issue refunds. They have to do all those things. They did these emergency refunds. They, they, they started printing things in many languages to make sure everybody got, got dealt with. They did an amazing job for the limited resources they have. So I asked Congress on the show, if you know a congressman, tell them to give the IRS more money, give them a multi-year um, budget cycle so that they can plan accordingly. And you and I, you, you have some questions I know about how do you deal with that You know, tight sometimes unresponsive IRS and we'll get into that. Yeah. Well, well, let's, let's get some live examples here. So, uh, you know, you get a notice from the IRS that you owe money that you don't think you owe, um, uh, that your, uh, CPAs prepared your return. You, you feel confident about that. Um, suddenly communication becomes important. Um, right. So uh, talk about how to navigate with the IRS, uh, given the circumstances that we're living under right now? Okay. So often you will get a, the simplest notice and the most frequent notice that you might get is something called the CP2000, where they said, hey, we got matching information that you didn't report on your tax return. Mm. All right. And so you go to your CPA, your family CPA, as I call them, all right, or your family enrolled agent or your family tax attorney. And you say, you know, Johnny, Jane, tell me, are they right? And Johnny and Jane will say, oh, no, no, they're not right. Now, at that point, you know, your CPA or your enrolled agent or your tax preparer, you know, they're very good at doing your taxes, telling you how much to pay, you know, dealing with all that. But just like you wouldn't ask your family physician to do heart surgery, dealing with the IRS is a specialty. It's like heart surgery. So you would ask them for a recommendation for somebody to do this and either guide the CPA, if it's relatively simple, or guide you. So I'll give you an example. So you get a a notice from the IRS that you didn't report the distribution from a retirement plan. And you think it's wrong because you rolled it over. Mm -hmm. You rolled it over into another plan. So you would then gather the evidence, all right, respond promptly to the IRS. And here's the secret, open the mail. I can't tell you how many times, John, I have met with a new client and they give me a pile of unopened mail. And if people could see me through the radio, they show me my hands, you know, very high. Right. About a foot apart right there. Yeah. Yeah. They, They come in and they haven't opened the mail. So the first thing is to open the mail because if you dispute the IRS, so let me explain what the process is and then I'll go back to basically how to deal, deal with it or it'll self explain. So the process is they send a notice. Sometimes it's called the CP2000 notice, which says, hey, you didn't report your retirement plan. You didn't report your your stock sale. You didn't report interest. You didn't report a 1099. And if you think they're incorrect, and most often they're incorrect when they say you didn't report your stock sale, because a lot of people may have gotten 
you know, may have exercised some options. It got included on their W-2. They got the stock. They sold it the same day to pay for all the tax. And then they forgot to report it on the tax return as a sale at $10,000 and a cost at $9,999. There might have been a, you know, a little bit of variation between the time of the exercise. That didn't get reported. So now you just have to gather that information and send it to the IRS. So what happens is, first of all, you have to read the mail to know that you have a problem. Second of all, when you send in the promptly send in the materials to the IRS, and if you do it promptly, you won't have to call them because they don't answer the phone lines very well. But you send it in, send it in certified mail, date stamped at the post office with a stamp on it, and that's your proof that you're going to be okay. Now, if they don't accept your answer, all right, they will say, we don't accept your answer. And they'll say, either say, give us more information, or here's the problems we have. Or they say, you know what, enough. And they're going to issue something called a notice of deficiency. So, so far, you haven't gotten to talk to anybody. You know, you're dealing through the mail. Mm-hmm. They issue a notice of deficiency that says you can go to tax court. And if you think you're right still, you should go to tax court. Uh, they will often assess a 20% accuracy-related penalty that may not be appropriate. But going to tax court is not that hard. You, it, they have, they have, you can do it online. They have simplified versions for lay people to do it. And if you do it wrong, they'll give you a chance to correct it. So, you know, go to tax court, file a petition, or hire somebody to file the petition for you. And once you're in tax court, they they then get you somebody to talk to. There's the IRS Office of Appeals, and you actually can talk to somebody, even through a, a webcam, you can talk to somebody and talk out your issue and get the documentation. So the thing is to get on top of it and address it and not be an ostrich, put your head in the sand and say, well, it'll go away if I don't open the mail. <laughs> right. And and something tells me in all these notices that a lot of folks don't open that you there are certain deadlines that you have to meet Every, in order to respond, in order to get into tax court, what have you. Right. And and right now we're talking about just for your audience, we're talking about, you know, when the IRS says you owe a different amount, not when, you know, there's there's money owed and you agree on what so the IRS is saying they haven't assessed the tax. They're saying we think we want to change your tax from your tax return. Right. That's that's different from you file the tax return and owe money and now we want to collect it. So we're talking right now, and we'll talk about the other in a few minutes. We're talking right now about, you know, basically. You know, the IRS is saying they want to change your tax liability. They want to assess your tax. And for that, be responsive. You will by going to tax court. Now, here's some of the trickery that happens. Sometimes you're getting involved with the IRS before you go to tax court. And they say, oh, you know what? And maybe you've had an examination with a live agent. And you get a letter saying, you know, here, here, here's your, here's your um, opportunity to go to the IRS Office of Appeals. You get a letter and you've had an examination, maybe it was an office or they were questioning expenses on your business mm-hmm. and they make an adjustment, they send you a letter and they say, you know, if you have more information, you know, send it to us. Well, if you send it to them and don't file for the tax court petition or don't file for appeals, there are usually two levels at that level. You can go to the office of appeals and then after that, you can go to the tax court. But if you don't file and you just send them the information, you may lose your right to either an appeal or task court. So make sure you read the letters carefully. Make sure you protect yourselves on deadlines. And, you know, to guide you through even a consultation with somebody like me to say, okay, this is what you have to do. And here are the things. And here's a list of what you need to do. 
those kinds of consultations are very helpful, even if you don't, can't afford to hire the person to do all the work. That makes perfect sense. Now, let's talk about the, um, I think you mentioned matching notices, but what about mm-hmm. if you owe money, you know, you owe money, um, maybe you're late in, in, uh, making estimated payments or what have you, what, what under those circumstances beyond just making sure you get that brought up to date as soon as you can, what, what, what kind of communication do you need to, to, uh, engage okay. in with the IRS? There are basically three, three things you need to do. First of all, if you're behind, we're sitting here in 2022, if you're behind in 2021 or 20 or 19 or 18, it's more important that you're paying your 22 tax correctly because keeping current is one of the three main things that you need to do in order to be compliant with the IRS. So that may mean increasing your withholding. If you're subject to withholding and you're not withholding enough, that may mean paying your estimates. You don't want to overpay your withholding or estimates because the IRS will seize that excess money to the back taxes if you need the cash flow, but you want to be current. So I I urge people, the first thing is to keep current. The second thing is give the IRS a plan. You know, how am I going to pay this back? And they will, in many situations, give you six years to pay the taxes uh, if you can full pay. And the third thing is, in certain circumstances, if you give them a plan that, that you owe more than a certain amount of dollars or you can't pay them over six years and want to say, I want to pay you less through a partial pay or want an offer a compromise, then you have to give them financial disclosure. So it's a three-part test. Keep current, give them a plan, and if need be, give them financial disclosure. So that's the start of, of, of that. Got it. So I guess your next question would be, what are the options? Once I know, you know, I have this, how can I repay? Uh, first of all, you're going to repay through hopefully a direct debit installment agreement if you can fully pay. Mm-hmm. You, you pay each month. You can start out with lower amounts each month and then increase them over time. So you could say, all right, I'm going to pay 200 a month this year, 300 a month next year, and 400 a month the year after and through the rest of the time, whatever it depends upon what you owe. If you owe less than $50,000, you know, you can do these online. They have online payment agreements. So you can go right to the irs.gov and I think it's forward slash OPA for online payment agreement. You can go online and, and pay that way. So, the, and, and if you're under 25,000, they won't even put a, a lien on you. Uh, they won't put something called a notice of federal tax lien. They won't file that. So basically there's information you need to do, you know, keeping current, communicating with them, same thing, communicate with them. And often you can't get through on the phones. So you might want to go to the online payment information that they have. They're now starting uh, uh, having you sign up uh, on the irs.gov to sign up and have an account. So you can have an account so you can communicate that way. They're not quite there, but within six months through there, they're going to be totally there. And so that you can communicate electronically. And, and really just address, address address the issues and know that you have a right. If you go to the IRS and propose an installment agreement, say, listen, I want to pay this much. You're now dealing with somebody at the IRS. Mm-hmm. And they say, no, you have the right to appeal that decision. Mm-hmm. There is an IRS office of appeals that you can say, I want to appeal your decision. Or if the IRS says, you know, um, you know. So those are some of the things. And then later in the collection action, when you're ready, we can talk about what happens when they're going to levy and garnish and how to prevent that. Well, let's get into that. I know you've got you've got some thoughts um, around real estate. 
uh, you know, given the way real estate prices have gone, both uh, residential and commercial uh, in a lot of markets, folks may be interested in selling real estate, but the problem is they may have an IRS lien against it. So talk about that. Okay. Well, what happens is when you, when you file your tax return and the IRS assesses the tax, there's a secret tax lien, which only affects priority between states and the federal. Nobody sees that publicly. If at some point, you know, you haven't paid them and you haven't been responsive, or even sometimes when you've been responsive, you owe them a certain amount, they will file a notice of tax lien in the county in which you live. That notice of tax lien affects any real estate that's in that county. So if you own something in a county not where you live, normally the IRS is not filing a notice of federal tax lien, so there's no limitation at all on that property. If they know the property exists, they're probably going to file it in both counties where the property exists and where you live. Hmm. So now let's just say you have a notice of federal tax lien filed and you know in the county where your property is and you want to sell the property. You can sell that property. All right. What happens is if you have enough money to pay the tax out of the sale, you simply pay the tax. You get a payoff letter and you pay the tax. Let's say you have nothing, John. Let's say you your client you're, 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 you have barely enough to close or you're underwater. Mm-hmm. The IRS will then discharge their interest in that property. You go through an application through the centralized lien facility, which is a very efficient and a, 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 an area you can get through. There are phone numbers for these advisors. It's called advisory. And you can go to a publication online and, and look them up. And you send them basically a package that says, listen, I'm selling my house. Here's the, here's the contract for sale. Here's the closing statement. As you see, there's no money after I pay for realtor commissions, uh, the mortgages and everything. There's no money left. Mm-hmm. And, and you ask for a discharge. Usually, if you give them a complete, if you give them a complete package, usually in here in New Jersey, where, where I personally operate, we have a nationwide department, but I personally operate here. Here in New Jersey, they turn around very, very fast. But within 30 days, you will get a letter saying, we will discharge the lien, you know, upon this closing, assuming that the taxpayer doesn't, is not walking away with any money. And on that basis, you can do it. And people don't know that they can, they can, you know, do this. And the whole manner on how to do this, if you look up Davidoff on CPA Academy, uh, there are seminars there that you can just replay one of our seminars where we teach this to other tax practitioners. It's about an hour and a half. It'll tell you everything you know about how to discharge your property. Step-by-step step, has the forms, goes through scenarios. And if you want, you know, that's, that's a place for you to look to you know, basically see our course. Folks, we're here chatting with uh, M- Marty Davidoff and Marty is the partner in charge of National tax controversy. You got it. <laughs> Just saying that makes me want to hire you instead of deal with it myself, <laughs> Marty. Uh, he's with Prager Metis. Uh, so, Marty, let's talk about some deductions that folks may be overlooking as they prepare their returns. Well, the biggest one is if you're self-employed and you're maybe an Uber driver or DoorDash, and you have a very simple business. And during the pandemic in 20 or 21, you lost time due to the pandemic. Pandemic. Maybe you couldn't drive because you were taking care of somebody who had COVID. Maybe you had COVID. 
Maybe the government in, in your area said you can't drive or you can't deliver for a certain amount of time. Basically, those who are employed get paid sick leave often for those kinds of things. Well, the federal government, you know, with a form 7202, form 7202, gives a sick and family leave credit for the self-employed for 2020, which you'd have to amend your return to claim at this point, and 2020 up to the first nine months. And it's for, you know, yourself or if you had to take care of someone. And basically, it, it, it's, it's quite generous. The sick days, you can get up to 10 sick days at $511 a day. And you can get up to 50 days for caring for a loved one at $200 a day. Mm. So there's lots of money there that, frankly, very few people knew about. And, you know, it, it, it's basically the government giving sick pay to self-employed people. Wow. I can see how folks might have missed that one. Um uh, and need to do a little research on that for their own situations. Um, let's talk about qualified business income deductions. Well, uh, when they reduced the corporate tax rates uh, effective in 2018 through the 2017 legislation, they basically said for businesses, sole proprietors, uh, S corporations, partnerships, that if you meet certain rules that you can deduct 20% of your income and not pay taxes on it, not pay income taxes on it. You still have to pay your self-employment and FICA tax, but not pay income taxes on it. And that's a pretty big benefit. And, you know, by now, most practitioners should be doing that, but but check. You know, 2021 is only the fourth year that they're doing it. Maybe you had a practitioner who wasn't aware of it. It's a separate form. The software is not going to automatically do it unless a box is checked. So check to see that you're getting the qualified business income deduction for your ongoing business, whether it's passing through to your individual return through something called a K-1 or whether, whether it is a sole proprietorship that you're you know, reporting on a Schedule C. So you know, definitely make sure that your, your, your practitioner is handling that uh, and, and, and putting the appropriate forms and explaining how it works. But basically, and if you're not getting it, um, you know, if your practitioner says you don't qualify, ask them how you can change your structure of how you operate in order to qualify, because sometimes that's all it takes. And you've got some thoughts on uh, charitable uh, dedu- uh, uh, charitable contributions, uh, deductions for charitable contributions. I'll get it out in a second. Uh, and, and what we need to be looking for there. Well, if there, if you're not itemizing, you know, some people think if they don't itemize, don't worry about, you know, getting information on their charitable deductions. Uh, beginning in 2020, charitable contributions were deductible, quote, above the line, uh, even if you don't itemize. And for this year, it, for, for a married couple, it's $600 that you can deduct. Uh, fairly, fairly simple. Um, and, and uh, you know, just don't, you know, just don't forget about it. Make sure you give the information to your preparer. Your family CPA can't do it if you don't tell them, give them the information. <laughs> and they'll normally they'll normally um, prod you to give it to them. But, you know, you've got to be cooperative and actually do it. Sure. Now, retirement plan contributions. Let's, let's talk about that. There's still time to contribute to your IRA account for 2021. Look at the numbers and see if it makes sense for you, whether you're a regular IRA or a Roth IRA. A regular IRA, you get to reduce your taxes now. A Roth IRA, you get to, you don't get a deduction now, but you get to accumulate money tax-free and take out 
all of the money tax-free when you take it out and qualify for retirement age. Let's switch gears here for a second, Marty, and talk about cryptocurrency. Uh, is that what? What are you, your views on using cryptocurrency in your business, and how does that affect your tax situation? All right, cryptocurrency. There are many layers to your question, so I'll take a couple of minutes. <laughs> right. um, cryptocurrency is deemed to be property, you know, much like. Um, uh, a, a stock. You know, you sell the stock, you have a gain, the difference between what you paid for the stock and what you sold the stock for. And yet it's like a piece of art. If you create cryptocurrency by mining, you don't have to pay tax on it until you sell it. Mm. You know, I, I paint a famous painting. You know, I don't have income when I produce the painting. I have income when I sell the painting. So every time you use cryptocurrency for any purpose, you're selling cryptocurrency. It's not really a currency under the tax law. It's not like, you know, I'm selling, you know, uh, uh, you know, euros or pesos. You know, what I'm selling is a piece of property, a stock. That's how it's deemed for tax purposes. Mm -hmm. So if I, if I buy cryptocurrency at, you know, I buy a piece of cryptocurrency for a thousand dollars and I, use it to purchase something goes up in value for 2000 and say, okay, I'm going to buy this, you know, pair of sneakers. All right. That war, that war by some famous NBA person. I'm going to buy a pair of sneakers for $2,000. Good. Now I own a pair of sneakers with a cost of $2,000, but I just had a gain of a thousand dollars because I had bought the cryptocurrency for a thousand and I sold it for 2000. So I had a thousand gain just for buying sneakers. Right. Because it was deemed to be a sale of the cryptocurrency. So imagine this that you decide, I'm going to buy a coffee every day using cryptocurrency at Starbucks because they say I can. You know, I go to my Coinbase account and I do that. Imagine I now have 365 sale transactions and I have to figure out what was my cost basis. So using cryptocurrency as day to day commerce in my mind, whether for business or, or personal, is not a good idea. And if you're going to trade in cryptocurrency, make sure you have something that tracks your cryptocurrency trade so you're ready to give it to your accountant and, and say, here, this is my gains and losses on cryptocurrency. There are many softwares out there and new ones being developed every day because this is a real issue. The other thing about, so, you know, that, that that's the thing. So if you, you're in a business, say, okay, I'm going to you know, pay for my rent with cryptocurrency. Well, every time you pay for your rent, you're going to have a gain to report or a loss to report on the cryptocurrency. So that complexity, I mean, can you imagine, John, you know, having that complexity every day in your business? Yeah, that's an accounting nightmare. You hit it on the head. Yeah. That's an accounting nightmare. Yeah. So, so now, you know, that's one part of cryptocurrency. Now, the other part of cryptocurrency is, you know, if you are a trader and you're heading into year end, you know, if you if you if you have losses that are unharvested, you can harvest those losses. Mm. And you know, I imagine you're thinking in your head, or maybe thinking in your head, but Marty, what about the wash sale rules? You know, the wash sale rules will stock say that if I sell something and then buy it right back because I don't want to lose my position, you know, I can't take that loss. You're gonna right. say, well, it's a wash. But cryptocurrency right now is not subject to the wash sale rules. 
Hmm. And you can harvest those losses at year end for now. Why do I say for now? Because in the Build Back Better bill was a provision to say that you can't harvest, that the cryptocurrency sales would be subject to the wash sale rules. And probably ultimately, you know, unless there's a strong change in Congress, ultimately uh, that probably will happen. Right. That makes a lot of sense. So I guess what I'm, what I hear you saying is, uh, you better have your record straight if you're going to, if you're going to um, work in cryptocurrency or use that in any way, shape, or form. You better have your record straight. Well, better than record straight, you better have a piece of software that's tracking it for you. Right. The the, the 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 amount of work to do it manually or even through spreadsheets. There's software that is and being developed where. As you spend it out of your account, it's going to it's going to automatically record it. But make sure that you take the output to that software early on, show it to your CPA, and say, "Is this going to be good enough?" Mm. Right, and that's where your family CPA will know what they're doing and 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 taking care of that. But cryptocurrency is is just you know a um, and and none of this in t- terms of taxation is particularly new. Just it's getting more attention because right on the tax return they ask the question. Basically, have you been dealing in cryptocurrency? I mean, dealing, you know, selling, buying, you know, having cryptocurrency. They ask the question right on the front of the return because they know that there's a lot of, you know, a lot of people use cryptocurrency because they're doing illegal things. You know, when you're doing collecting ransoms, you're collecting ransoms in cryptocurrency. Yeah. So they want to they want to know about that cryptocurrency, and there's a lot of undercover beginning to start in, in, in investigating, you know, tax fraud through cryptocurrency. The IRS is right on top of that. Folks, we've been chatting with uh, Mar- Marty Davidoff, and Marty is the partner in charge of the National Tax Controversy Practice with Prager Metis. Uh, Marty, this has been great. I w- could go on <laughs> with with more questions, but I think we need to. It's it's the time of the year we need to let you get back to uh, the work you're doing for clients. But for those that have uh, heard something that makes them want to be in touch with you and uh, about their own situation, how can they do that? The easiest way is to call 732-274-1600. That's 732-274-1600. That's the tax controversy reception at Prager Metis. And you will have a live person, 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. East Coast time, answering that phone and getting you to an intake person. One of my, we have about 20 people in the department, so it's not a huge department. And one of those people will get get you to me or one of my partners or associates who will take care of you. Marty Davidoff, folks. Marty, thank you so much for taking the time to come on. Thank you, John. Hey, folks, just a quick reminder that if you like the show, if you like Business Leaders Radio and you like uh, the guest that we've had here today, Marty Davidoff, um, please share the show. that's the best way you can do to, to uh, um, uh, help the folks that are on this show, whether it's Marty or our other guests. Uh, we're here to celebrate their work and to showcase their work, and uh, that's what we're all about at Business Radio X. So if you have heard something you liked today um, or in any of our other shows, please share the show. We'd appreciate you doing that. So for my guest, Marty Davidoff, I'm John Ray. Join us next time here on Business Leaders Radio.